Welcome to the latest episode of the I Need to Effing Talk to You podcast. If you're a leader who is serious about building your leadership skills and transforming your organizational culture, you are in the right place. I'm Ken Cameron. And I'm Russell Stratton. Sometimes difficult conversations suck, but you need to have them. Normally, in every episode of the I Need to Effing Talk to You podcast, Russell Stratton and I ask leaders about the most difficult conversations that they've had with their employees, coworkers, suppliers, customers, or even their bosses. We ask them how the F they managed to get through those challenging moments so that you can learn from their successes and from their missteps, all so that you can become a better leader. But in this episode, we need to effing talk about office holiday parties gone awry. Recently, Russell and I hosted a series of I Need to Effing Talk to You workshops with a holiday theme, and in this episode, we want to share some of the successes that our participants discovered. So first, a little background. For those of you who are as yet unaware, I Need to Effing Talk to You workshops teach the art of navigating difficult workplace conversations by using a live actor to play the employee with whom you need to have the difficult conversation. Participants come up to the room one at a time to take their turn having this difficult conversation, and the actor pushes back with a number of counter-arguments. The participants can call timeout, they can check in with the rest of the group, and they can either tap out or continue on depending on what they want. If they choose to tap out, then another participant comes on up and resumes the conversation from where we left off. It's like role play, but it's role play on steroids. It's as close to the real thing as it's possible to get without having the real people in the room with you. We always customize the scenario to fit the client that we work with, but in these cases, we had a series of open enrollment workshops with community partners, most prominently with the Calgary Chamber of Voluntary Organizations. And so there were a whole bunch of different participants from a bunch of different backgrounds. And so rather than being industry-specific and in keeping with the holiday theme, we drew upon many of the real-life holiday office party horror stories that we have found to compile some scenarios that would work with every member of the audience. So today, Russell and I are going to share with you some of those scenarios, and then we're going to share with you what the participants learned and their successes that they uncovered about how to make these scenarios and these difficult conversations work to their advantage. And our first scenario was that at the staff holiday party, Michael, who was the director of IT, overindulged in alcohol and loudly gushed to a member of his team named Nicole about the outstanding performance review and raise that she would get, which made Nicole feel really good. However, it wasn't entirely true. The foundation was planning to give Nicole a modest increase, but it it wasn't really a raise. It was a cost of living increase. And again, it was modest. So now you, the participant, are concerned that Michael's comments at the party may have set unrealistic expectations for Nicole. And to make matters worse, Jason, who's another team member, was within earshot. And now Jason fears that he will receive no bonus because Michael didn't say anything to him at the party about his performance. So that's the situation, Russell, that we presented to our participants and that they had to respond to. It it certainly was. And uh, it brought out, they did a really good job. I think that's the first thing to say. They did a really good job of of dealing with the um, situation and with with Mike about what he was doing and wasn't doing. 
but it but it did take a little bit of um, you know trial and error from them to get to a I think a successful resolution because and that's one of the beauties of using you know forum theater for business and the approach that we do is that it allows multiple people to be involved in the conversation at different points and you can build off what somebody else has said if it didn't work you can <coughs> excuse me rewind and try again um, and just getting to see different people's approaches so I think that it really sort of encapsulated the benefits of of using that approach um, but there were a couple of key points that came out. So perhaps if I start us on, on here, and um, I know there was a couple of things that you wanted to uh, pick up specifically on, Ken. Um, the first one was, I think, lesson learned right off the, off the get-go was don't try and have that difficult conversation at the party itself, particularly if the other person has been drinking and is slightly intoxicated. Or should I say with our actor was playing somebody who was slightly intoxicated. He wasn't actually intoxicated. Oh, yeah. good, uh, good, good clarification there. We got to make sure that we don't um, uh, throw our, our friend Michael under the bus, that he was actually drinking too much eggnog with mom at the party. But you raised a really good, a good, really good point, Russell. One of the participants, like right off the bat, um, is, uh, was being very proactive in the sense that she, she, she felt it was important to take Michael out of the situation immediately before he did any more damage. And then have the conversation in a side room right there, and say, "No, you can't do this. Don't." Um, w- w- and discuss why it would be why it would be an issue, which seems to make sense right at the top. And it, and it's something that you often talk about in our workshops, Russell. That early proactive management or catching it early before a problem that's relatively small becomes really quite large. However, the issue in this situation, of course, is that. Um, Michael's already had too much to drink, which is why he made this faux pas in the first place. So he wasn't in a position to be able to really absorb um, and hear what it was that he'd done wrong. And it gave it, it afforded too many opportunities for him to um, to be able to like be indifferent and to say, well, you know, it was just a conversation. It was just it was just a party. We're all having a good time. Why are you being such a downer? So it was a bit it was a bit real challenge at that point for the participant to actually get Michael to to accept that it was an issue. I, yeah, I think so. And I, I think it will, you know, brings up a couple of points. Uh, the first is, yes, you want to take, you know, uh, proactive action. We don't want to leave something. But I think also you've got to think about, well, what's the context of what's happened? In this situation, he's already said what he said by you know, letting the cat out of the bag about these pay raises. So in some ways, the damage is already done. Um, Maybe may saying to him, don't say any more about that and we'll talk about it tomorrow, would have would have been enough. But trying to go to the next stage and have, well, let's explore what you've done and why it was not a good idea was not going to happen because the character in that situation is intoxicated, they're giggling, they think it's funny, they don't see why it's an issue. I think the sentiment was right, let's stop him saying any more. Um, and in certain circumstances, obviously, as our listeners would recognise, you would absolutely want to intervene. Now, if somebody was harassing a member of staff was saying something that was you know a racist or homophobic for example so you usually want to step in and say that this needs to stop now so i think that part is fine it's when you're trying to then have to sit down do you understand the seriousness of what you've done a little bit like the you know the the disciplinary interview you can't really do that at the party because the person's just not in the frame of mind to uh, to have that conversation 
And this brings up a, a, a good point, Russell, which in our workshops we often call set and setting, which is a term that I've borrowed from my wife's therapeutic practice, is just making sure so the so that the setting is the physical space in which you're having the conversation. So in this case, you're at a party, you need to take them away from the party into a separate room so that it's just the two of you. So that's the setting portion. Or um, you need to have the conversation in um, not in a public space, but in a separate closed boardroom. Or you need to have the conversation in your office rather than at their cubicle, for instance. Any of those kinds of things are, are, are part of the setting. But the other piece is the set, which is the, the way in which you set up the conversation. Right. So do you do you set the conversation by saying, um, hey, I want to talk to you right now. Uh, let's go to the boardroom now and have this conversation. Or do you send it in an email and say, I'd like to have a conversation in which we'll talk about your performance, in which I want to talk about the um, the project that we were working on. I want to debrief that with you so that they have some 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 opportunity to to not be blindsided in the uh, in the conversation so that they know what kind of what's coming or, or so that they're mentally prepared for. It. So those are the two terms that we often use set and setting and in this instance you're talking about russell there was they, they there wasn't uh, enough thought into the set and setting so subsequent participants when it was their turn to come up decided they were having the conversation the next day and in those instances they they also ran into some further obstacles yeah for, yes for, for sure and just before we move off from that point ken it's a little bit like thinking um, you know, work I did years ago with the police service. You know, you may have to arrest somebody who has behaving in an um, unacceptable way or breaking the law, who's intoxicated, and you need to arrest them now to stop them doing this, hurting themselves or others. But the interview that you have with them about that doesn't happen while they're still intoxicated. That's normally the next day or later when the person is sobered up because then they're much of a clear thought, one, that the message gets home, but also you're likely to get some you know, uh, more realistic answer from them because you're not going to get too much out of them that's going to be of, of help at that point. But there's a point of stopping what's going on and then perhaps picking up the conversation that, that happens, happens afterwards. One of the things it brought up, though, Ken, which I thought was interesting, was um, the concept about drinking at work. And if this was a holiday party, but it's a holiday party set at the work premises, um, which sometimes happens, sometimes doesn't, just depends on the organisation. Um, and that he was saying, well, he was intoxicated, but he was still at work. And therefore, that in itself was an issue, not just what he'd said. Um and and, and, yeah, and saying things that were perhaps confidential and he shouldn't have been talking about. So that was a problem. But they also, I think, well, some people felt that the fact that he was he had would become intoxicated at the work party itself was an issue. And so it raises an interesting question, which is: um, Is it appropriate to have alcohol at a workplace um, office party? And whether that's at the holidays or not, is it appropriate to have alcohol at a workplace holiday party? Um, because, you, you know, the alcohol, alcohol and behaviors often don't always mix well. So it can, it can, you know, anything can happen. So you do have to kind of be prepared when you do serve alcohol in a workplace. I, I, absolutely. And I, and I think one of the things that, that, that I thought about it when they were saying that was, well, if you don't want people to get intoxicated, at, at your work party in your workplace, don't provide them with alcohol. 
because it's a bit like you know you're you're providing the temptation. Now I agree that everybody has should be able to um, you know know their limitations and behave appropriately. But you're sort of like if you're, if you're giving people hey hey have a drink, you're sort of giving people the permission to have a drink and get merry and whatever. And there's going to be potentially some consequences for that. Um, so. If you really, if you're if you're concerned about those, because there might be consequences, people might drink too much. Then don't provide them with alcohol. Then then it's not gonna it's not it's not gonna happen. A little bit like a teenager's party. If you don't want teenagers to drink, you know, um, <laughs> don't, then don't give then don't allow them to have the alcohol in the first place. Because once they start drinking it, you know what's going to happen. I was thinking, if you're thinking for teenagers, if you say that, if you tell them they can't drink, they're still going to bring it anyway. So you might as well supervise it. But that's a whole other story, probably, to, to look about, te- about with teenagers. But uh, you brought up a good example um, about people taking responsibility, particularly in a leadership role, where they want to be seen to be let their hair down, be part of the party, but still want to maintain that. Um, sort of responsibility of, of, of their position. Tell our listeners about that. Yeah, because I, I'm not sure that your proposition that there should be no alcohol in the workplace at a, at a, at a workplace function is, is entirely practical, especially in today's culture, right? Like there's, there's so, alcohol is so ubiquitous in our culture and it's used so frequently as a social lubricant that it's almost, almost ubiquitous. So they, I think we need to find ways to, to address it and ways to deal with this as leaders. And so an example that comes to my mind was a leader whom I much admire, the late Warren Connell, who was the CEO of the Calgary Stampede, one of the largest uh, outdoor festivals in Canada, if not in North America, but also a very, very large nonprofit organization with a large board and a large volunteer base. And so the the Calgary Stampede is known for its party atmosphere in the summer when the uh, corporate world cuts loose, and there's an awful lot of drinking happens during those ten days in July. But also, um, there can be a, a, there can be alcohol at some of the board meetings or at sorry not at the board meetings but at social events that might happen afterwards. Um, so that can happen, and I will. And it's often a way for board members to bond, to discuss things. They they may take their armor down. And and in doing so, there may actually be some more frank and honest discussions about issues of the day in those circumstances, or at the very least, bonding between board members. But I, can, uh, I watched Warren Connell, the CEO, in these situations, and he confided to me that uh, once, when I saw him with his glass of wine, he confided to me that it had been the same glass of wine all evening. And he, uh, he, he, he took me aside and, and uh, winked at me and smiled that he had become an expert at making one glass of wine look like several over the course of the evenings and that he rarely drank more than one glass of wine in these, in these events at, at these, these occasions. And I, I came to admire that because it, was, it allowed him to interact with his board and to um, meet them where they were at in social occasions while still maintaining his composure and not getting into the kind of situations that happened in our scenario. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's a great story. And I think from, as a personal you know, p- p- a point for people to think about, maybe a good one too. But I, I just want to clarify when I was saying about you not having alcohol, it's not that I'm suggesting you don't. I'm just saying that if as a company you're worried about what people are going to do, then you're probably 
you're going to have to take the risk. I think the advantages outweigh the disadvantages. It can be relaxing. It's a little bit more of a, you know, a, a team bonding. People may be honest, more honest about what they're saying. I used to work for a CEO who used to say, you know, um, Friday lunchtime, he would always go to um, a, a pub office at the office and he would say anyone was welcome to come and meet with him over there. Um, and often people did. And he said, that's when I find out what people actually think because yeah. they come over and, and they'll talk to me then. He said they wouldn't come to my not come to my office and tell me, but people would tell me at the bar. Now, you know, again, there's a whole culture around there and there's other pieces around, you know, do you want to be inclusive? What about people that don't drink for whatever reason? Um, but if you're worried that people are going to do something silly, then don't don't give it to them anyway. But the reality is most people aren't, but occasionally it's going to have and we, we have to just sort of manage that as our scenario was showing. Um, and I do think you need to think about, you know, what about those people who don't drink? There's, um, there's an, in, there's a, a large number of our workforce who are devout Muslims and who, for whom drinking is, um, not, uh, not, um, not encouraged, but not allowed in their religion. So to place them into an office environment where there is alcohol everywhere, how fair is that? really to them. Or looking at it another way, what if you have somebody in your company who is uh, recovering from an, from an alcohol problem? Then how fair is it to them to surround them by um, with alcohol and also to make a workplace party um, almost obligatory? If it's not obligatory, but there's certainly an amount of peer pressure or social pressures that is around that, that can be challenging for any of those kinds of uh, groups of individuals. Uh, yeah, for sure, and and, it could, and it's not just because somebody happens to be Muslim. There's many re- religions where people don't drink. There's many situations you say with somebody maybe who's a recovering alcoholic where people don't. So, um, or people don't want to. They don't feel comfortable doing so. Um, so, I, I, what I what I've always said to when this has come up, people say, "Well, what should we do? Should we not?" Is, is I've always said, "Well, one thing is that you should provide options for people. So there should be a, a variety of non-alcoholic drinks as well as their alcoholic drinks." You don't just provide, you know, there's a bottle of water or you can have this. Um, The other thing is you can have part of the party that is, you know, on the premises that maybe doesn't have alcohol. You can go somewhere else afterwards. If people want to go for for a drink, they can. It's optional. Um, The only thing there, you just have to be careful that it's not just like an in-group that gets to go off to the actual party and everybody else sort of sits there um, at the the, the pre-piece. But I think it's just about having options for people that it's not pressurized. You can if you want. You don't have to if you don't want to. And you can come if you want. You don't have to if you don't want to. Um, and if people really feel strongly about having a, a different alternative, then say, absolutely, then go ahead and, you know, organize something. And then we can have that as that as well. So, you know, more than one Christmas party, maybe. Well, and on that theme, the second scenario that we brought to the table during these workshops was, was, was that exact situation. We're going to take a little intermission break here for a moment, but when we come back, we're going to talk about what we discovered in scenario number two. We'll be right back. Okay, this is going to be a different kind of ad. One of our clients wants to do the pitch for us. That client is Dean Jessen, who's operations manager at Volker Stevan Highways. Dean was a guest on our podcast in episode number 36, and at the end of his interview, he surprised us by telling our listeners just what he thought of our work. Russ and Ken, I appreciate the work your team does with managing difficult workplace conversations. Volker Stevan has had the pleasure of going through that a few times now, and I know some other parts of our companies are also engaging that with yourselves and Blue Gem. And just for the audience's information, 
We know in a work environment, it goes without saying that there's different views and perspectives out there. And agreements, disagreements, conflicts, etc., are going to take place. And, and what we've really benefited from, from the work your team does, is that you address these conflicts or disagreements. You work with the company, you address their specific conflicts and disagreements, and you make it a real-life setting by bringing in actors and mediating and keeping that context going and the discussions going so it prepares our leaders in Volker Steven and others in the leadership role to be ready for these conversations when they do take place. So really appreciate the work you gentlemen do as well in your team. We had no idea that Dean was going to say that, but we're really glad that he did. For years, Ken and I have been leading these workshops on how to navigate difficult workplace conversations. Because we use live actors to play your difficult employee, customer, supplier, or boss, it's as close to the real thing as you can get without having the real problematic individuals in the office with you. And let me tell you, it's a whole lot psychologically safer. If you'd like to find out more about our live workshops or our online courses, then head on over to INeedToEffingTalkToYou.com. And now, back to the episode. Welcome back to the I Need to Effing Talk to You podcast. We're debriefing today about some of the scenarios we use for our holiday Christmas parties. So here's the scenario, uh, number two, which we called a night out. You held a fundraiser last night, which seemed to go well. But the next morning, you heard that after the fundraiser, one of the managers in your organization who was leading a small team insisted that his team accompany him to an after-hours party at a karaoke place. You've heard that some of the people weren't sure they wanted to go, but Michael was pretty gung-ho. At the karaoke bar, Mike sang Nellie's It's Getting Hot in Here, which led him to take his shirt and pants off while singing on stage in front of the entire team. Video of his performance has appeared on social media, drawing a number of adverse comments about the foundation. And so now you need to have a conversation with Mike. So that was the scenario. Sounds ridiculous. Sounds really out there. Oh, would that ever really happen? But keep in mind, listeners, that these were drawn from real life events. Yeah, and this was this was. I mean, it was again. It, they, people had some fun with this one because you know um, our, our actor was particularly there, and uh, I think he was at one point attempting to should he take his um, his clothes off again the next day to show him exactly how it went because he the way the character he was playing didn't see any problem with it. Thought this was all just a bit of fun. Um, obviously, what they were then trying to do was to demonstrate to him that this wasn't just a bit of fun, that there was an issue uh, for the company. So one of the excuses that he had, as well as, well, it's just a bit of fun, was, but this is after hours. The, the, you know, the fundraising event take place, and this was after hours. So it's got nothing to do with the company. Um, and this brought up the discussion about, well, if you're still on a company event and you're still identified as that company because in this scenario he was wearing a company t-shirt um and uh, i can't remember if he had company boxer shorts i can't remember quite remember now but it, that and people knew which company it was because he was giving a shout out to the company during his video in his singing he was bringing the company into it. So is this this part of the that you, you're you bringing the company into disrepute because your behavior is uh, calling into question the company's values and it's not what your customers would have expected 
uh, from one of your senior managers to be stripping off in a karaoke bar, um, singing drunkenly and sort of chanting the company, company name. And one of the things that the actor was was attempting to do, too, was to minimize the incident. And so he wasn't stripping off like bare chested. He was took off his shirt to show his T-shirt underneath with the company logo on it. And he was and and as you say, yes, I think there was uh, the actor, the actor then also added the boxer shorts to the scenario, which added a great deal of humor for our audience. But it uh, it does it does um, raise the main question that you pointed out, Russell, is 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 after hours on the job or is it not? Um, so it, it was an interesting question, an interesting debate. Where, where do you land on that, Russell? Um, well, I, I think it's like anything. If, if certainly, if you're naming the company, um, or you're on a company event, which which it was, it was linked to a company event. Then that um, there is that uh, there can be that allegation laid that you are bringing the company into disrepute. In that scenario, just to remind people, you know, this is the direct follow on from a company event. He's with company employees. He's wearing company logo and uh, and he's talking about the company while drunkenly stripping his clothes off and singing. Um, you know, it's it's getting hot in here. So he's already bringing the company into it. The other thing is sometimes the fact that it could be nothing to do with it, nothing linked to the company at all. But the fact that your name and the company's name gets in the same report. So many years ago. Um, I was involved in a disciplinary case uh, with a member of staff who was drunk on an evening out and attacked a member of um, transit staff with a fire extinguisher on a tra- on, on, on the, the equivalent of Calgary Sea Train. And he had part of his defence, and he was, he was facing criminal charges as well, was that there was nothing for the company to do because um, even as he got uh, if he got there if he got let off because it was in his own time. And the point that was made was he would not only be facing criminal charges but also internal disciplinary charges once the criminal charges had gone through its process. Because in the newspaper report about it, it quite clearly named who he worked for. So. Whether that was he told them or it got out unintentionally or I don't know how they got to know it, but the, the news report was, you know, Mr. Joe Bloggs, an employee of name of company, is alleged to have assaulted a member of the transit staff with a fire extinguisher, leaving him battered, bruised and having to go to hospital. So, he, again, the company's brought into it anyway. And what then what are their comments? Like, who on earth is this guy? Is he work for you? And is it the employee's responsibility to then supervise the media and to over whom he has no control about what the media does print or doesn't print or has researched? So it, 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 that feels really unfair to the employee as well, even though the employee, like let's admit it, was assaulting someone with a fire extinguisher. Well, unfair in that he got found out, but it's the same as – and it was not, again, the same company – and again, when this wasn't in the in the, you know, we're sort of getting into the more extreme cases here, um, where uh, a member of staff was charged criminally with um, having thousands of pornographic images of children. So whether that, if even when that was still not know what was going to happen, that, that allegation itself. The association of something that the, the the vast majority of sane people would say is abhorrent 
linked anything to with that, you know can you have somebody employed where you know even when it was that allegation was being made because that were you know that that would be totally against the, the values of the company and other people working in the organization um so there was things around you know this due process to go through and, and being out same but in that case the the individual was 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 suspended for a period of time before the case took place, while investigations were taking place internally to ensure that there he wasn't storing any of this on a company property. Right, 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 right. So, so I think I think it's a fine line. But my, my basic warning is: if, if you if you do something that's going to get you either arrested or going to get you in the limelight, um, it's going to come to particularly in today's environment where everything is recorded on social media. It's going to get you into the notice of your employer. Um, so don't be surprised if they're asking you in for a conversation about that. And it's not enough to say, well, that happened outside of work. It's got nothing to do with you because in a lot of cases it, it has because you can directly link where somebody works based on their, their social media profile, whatever. And and there's so few barriers between work and life these days. They they bleed together for better or for worse. And this is one example of how it's worse for everybody. In in, in well, those yeah, circumstances. And, and then let's be honest. You know, you, you and I can are of a similar age. Um, you know, look youthful, but maybe um, slightly older than some of our participants. You know, we could dump, do dumb shit when we were younger in our early twenties, and nobody apart from the people that were there would have seen any of it. So we could have gone to a party and got drunk and, you know, just like our example with our actor, and no one would have known really about it apart from the people that were there. Now you do that, the chances, as we found in our scenario, is it's going to be all over social media. Mm-hmm. And yep. if it identifies a company, the, 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 the ante is that much is that, that much higher. The same as people, you know, posting drunken pictures or, you know, pictures of them stripped or naked on their social media like Instagram and then they find out the prospective employer looks at it and says, I see this pictures of people. This isn't really the sort of person we want working here. So in some ways it seems unfair, but it's like just be really, I suppose the watchword for people, be really careful about what you post on social media about yourself, even if it's in your private life, and just be aware that any time that you're linked your behavior is linked back to your company in some way that you're, you're probably going to have to, uh, you're going to be held accountable for that. And in this second scenario that we were describing, the participants had a, had a, had a great deal of difficulty communicating to our actor the why this was important and why and the and that link that you're just describing. The actor kept saying, "Oh, it's just, you know, it's my own time. It was just something that happened afterwards. Well, it's not that big. That's not that big a deal. It, you, you can't control everything that I do." He had all sorts of reasons to push back against against the why this why this was an impact, and he had all sorts of reasons to avoid taking accountability for it but you pointed out to me just before we started the podcast russell that there was there was a key that the participants eventually discovered that unlocked the issue for our actor what what was that yeah well well they they tried the whole you know let's just sort of set this up they tried the well you know this this makes the company look bad and he was like well no it doesn't because it's free publicity and then they tried the well, you know, there's going to be sanctions for you. I'm going to write you up. And he was like, well, I don't care because I don't think I did anything wrong. So he really wasn't bothered. But what they found out is in in the conversation was what his team, they took a different tack and another participant came up and they took a different tack and they were talking about what the work his team was doing and and, and the impact they were having. And he was super proud of his team 
and of the individuals within it. And it was when they could I link how his behaviour was going to have a detrimental effect on those people and it was going to cause issues for them, that was the light bulb moment. That was the key to unlock things for him because it was like he didn't care about him, you know, what are you going to say, that I'm a good time guy or that I was having some fun, I had a few drinks, so what? He wasn't bothered about that. But when it was said, but your actions have now caused a problem for your team and that project that they're working on could now, you know, the customers are talking about pulling out from it, which would have a detrimental effect on him. And that was the last thing he wanted. And so that was the part that brought him up short, like, oh, okay, so this is actually more serious than he was initially saying, thinking it was. And this is something you often talk about in our workshops, Russell, that the effect that the behavior has on others that you work with is often the most powerful um, point of leverage for a leader when you have to have these difficult conversations. Because as you pointed out, most people want to get along together with their colleagues. Yeah, 100%. And I think the thing is, if it's not with their colleagues, it could be something to do with the project or the company. Or, and it's just it's finding what is it that's important to the person. What, 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 what's, what's important to them? What bothers them? Um, and once you find out what's important to them, that gives you the leverage to change behavior. Because if you're trying to, to, to push a, a, an avenue with it on something that you think is important, but they don't think is important, then you sort of don't get anywhere with them. But when you, in this case, it was his team that was important to him. In somebody else, it might have been the work itself. In someone else, it could have been, you know, future career prospects or, you know, how would this look for their family now that their family sees this and they hadn't realized, oh, was there, have they seen it? You know, it, it could be different things for different people, but it's finding out what's important to them. Um, and then you, if you can tie that in, well, then you suddenly start to, it's a completely different conversation. You, it's like you flip a switch and people are, they've, they've sobered up. Not <laughs> to use a, <laughs> to joke about a, a scenario, but they've sobered up and they're totally now, they're, you've now got their full attention. Yeah. And so and I think that's really in the models that we've worked on. That's really been the, um, the, the, the key to each of these different models is the effect that it has on something that the individual cares, cares about. And you often have to kind of probe and search to find out what it is that that individual cares about, which may shift from week to week or month to month. But you generally, if you've worked with somebody for a long period of time, you generally start to get to know what, it, what is going to be that point of leverage. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And once you do that, and once you understand that, and it comes back to the better you understand your people. If you take the time to understand your people that work with you and work for you, and you understand what makes them tick, then it gives you an idea of which buttons to push and which levers to pull in an ethical manner, not just doing it to, to get reaction, you're ethically. So really using that emotional intelligence, understanding you know, what makes people tick, and then you're able to use that um, and it's always in the benefit of about seeing well, how can you help them improve? Now, if somebody's made a mistake, it's not necessarily you, you want to hang them out to dry. It's how can I get them to improve? Like, I need to understand that this was wrong and why it was wrong and what impact it had on other people, and then how they can. Well, then you can work with them to address it. And, uh, and, and that's also steps. very key, is that it's about changing the other person's behavior. It's not about punishing the person. It's not about um, um, uh, making the person feel bad. It's it's about, And it's not about severing the relationship. It's about maintaining the relationship so that you can help the individual improve. Absolutely. And, and what was great at the end of, of, of both those scenarios with our participants is they set down the final conversation they had was, okay, so 
what are the next steps we need to take to uh, to clear up the mess? And they put it on on our actor and playing the part of Michael. Okay, what what do you need to do now? And they would help him, but he had to do the legwork on it just to clear up the mess that he'd made. So it wasn't just about punitive punishment for what you you screwed up. You acknowledge it. Okay, well now let's help you move this forward so this doesn't happen again, and we can get back to where we need to be. Um, and I think that's always important. It's not sim- any any of these type of conversation. It's not simply about you know screaming at somebody. Who's yeah, on that wrong? Absolutely. Because yeah, well, it's okay, and they know it's wrong. And how do how do we help them move forward? And so that was the way that we handled those two scenarios. And we just wanted to provide you, the listener, with a little debrief about how that worked. And in the holiday spirit, in the uh, in the unlikely event or the unfortunate event that you should come across some poor behavior at any of the office holiday parties that you've been at over the past several weeks. Um, and that wraps up this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Remember to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Share the link with your friends and colleagues, and you can always reach out to us at the email address in the show notes. Goodbye for now, and we'll effing talk to you again soon. Goodbye, folks. And you realize, Ken, we're probably never, ever going to be invited to a holiday party now um, in the workplace after that episode. Well, I kind of hope so. You know, I really don't (laughs) want to go to any more holiday parties, really.